It's always a challenge um, the Sunday after Thanksgiving before you start the Christmas season what to preach. Um, and so, um, you know, do you just roll the dice and just preach anything? Or uh, do you start kind of a Christmas sermon early, even though Advent, the first week of Advent, isn't until next week? So I was wrestling through those things and thinking about um, the fact that we were going to have, that we're a church plant. We were going to have a group from Bonham who's thinking about church planting and what it means to be the church in a time where our nation is increasingly secular. And so um, our passage this morning comes from 1 Timothy 3.14, just a brief statement that Paul makes when writing to the young pastor Timothy about the church. Just two verses this morning, and it's 1 Timothy 3.14-15. Hear the word of God. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Father, we thank you now for your holy word, just this short, brief text that we have before us, but we pray that you illuminate us in the power of the Holy Spirit that we might understand what it means to be your people and to be part of uh, your body, your community, where you live among us and abide. Father, we thank you now, and we pray that you would convict our hearts and convince us of the truth of this passage, of your lordship and power. We thank you now in Christ's name. Amen. Well, just the other day, I hit a milestone. I say an anniversary. Actually, my wife and I, a couple weeks ago, celebrated 26 years married. And so it was an anniversary, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the milestone of hearing for the 9,876th time someone say, Um, I'm spiritual, I just don't believe in organized religion. Just raise your hand if you've ever heard that. I'm spiritual, I just don't believe in organized religion. Um, Now I want you to do a mental exercise. We're going to do something a little different this morning. I want you to do a mental exercise for a moment. And I want you to interpret that statement in your head. So so no rush. Take a a, a minute or so, maybe 60 seconds. And... Come up with what you think that statement means. I'm spiritual. I just don't believe in organized religion. And I'm going to give you a minute. And then afterwards, I'm going to say, go ahead and shout out what you think that means. Just a brief statement. Not a, not a long, uh, um, you know, formal declaration. Just a, a brief statement of what you think that means. So take a moment right now and, and uh, decipher what that means. I'm spiritual, I just don't believe in organized religion. All right, who wants to go first? Just shout it out. What does it mean? Yes. Okay. What else? Yes. What? Okay. It's personal. Okay, so it's a statement about, maybe a negative statement about the church. Okay, any others? Okay. What else? What? I'm not going to church. So 
I've got a connection with God. I just don't need the church to do that, maybe. Yeah. God knows my heart. Okay. Yeah. What? I don't or I do? I don't want to study the Bible. Okay. So those are all good. I would say those all kind of get at it. Um, There's an article that was written for CNN uh, by a guy named Alan Miller back in 2012. And Alan Miller uh, writes and sometimes contributes to CNN's, um, I guess, uh, blog on religion or report on religion. I didn't know they had such a thing. Um, But this is what he says. Listen to what Alan Miller, writing for CNN in 2012, says about what we're talking about. The increasingly common refrain that I'm spiritual but not religious represents some of the most retrogressive aspects of contemporary society. The spiritual but not religious movement is an inappropriate term, as that would suggest some collective organizational aspect. But it highlights the implosion of belief that has struck at the heart of Western society. Spiritual but not religious people are especially prevalent in the younger population in the United States, our young folks. Um, and although a recent study has argued that it's not so much that people have stopped believing in God, but rather they've drifted from formal institutions. So it's not so much that people have stopped believing in God, but they've moved away from this idea that the church is this formal institution. And it seems nowadays that just being a part of a religious institution is associated negatively with everything from the religious right to child abuse back to the crusades and, of course, with terrorism. Think of religious extremism. And those in the spiritual but not religious camp uh, at Miller Wright's are peddling this notion that by being independent, by choosing an individual relationship to some concept of higher power, energy, or oneness, or something or other, they're actually in a deeper, more profound relationship than one that is coerced via a large institution like the church, end quote. And this attitude is actually more prevalent than you think, sadly, even among people like us, Christians. We'd like to think... We don't believe that. That's what people outside of the church believe. But there's probably some ways in which even us, church-attending Christians, Bible-believing Christians, maybe have some of that in us. Um, We don't think our own spiritual development is really tied to the church. And if we do, we're not really sure how it works. You know, it's just we go to church because, well, that's what Christians do. We go to church. I've always gone to church. Uh, but without an actual real theology undergirding your connection to the church, a real reason you go to church, well, we're all kind of headed the way of the dodo bird, unless we correct that, unless we ground our attendance in a church, our belief in the church, our desire to be a church and to be part of the church and to invite people to church, speaking of inviting people, Um, Church plants, this is a church plant. We have a group here who are thinking about church planting. Um, They say that typically 7% of people in a church plant every Sunday need to be visitors for that church to grow. So, for instance, we normally, we've got some families out of town this week. 
Oh, we normally have about 70 people here. Well, for us to grow, we would need seven people every week to be visitors for us to grow. A church of 100 or a church plan of 100 would need to have 10 people in the seats every Sunday as visitors for that church to grow. So that just helps us, gives us an idea about what the task is. But I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because the idea is, why would we invite people to church, right? What do we believe about the church? What do we think about what it means to be the church and why we come to church? And if we don't lock that down, well, we're just a few steps away from the spiritual but not religious group. Now, what's the blame for this attitude that's so prevalent today? Well, there's certainly the influence of postmodernism with its suspicion towards authority of any kind, any official version of truth. Somehow people feel locked in by that. They don't want any official version of anything telling them what they should believe. And this isn't just about the church. The church as an institution. We see this with medicine and all types of other things where there's all these kind of organic movements springing up. And some of that's fine. Some of that's good. But that's part of what's to blame. But then there's the me generation of self-obsessed truth is whatever you feel it to be thinking where big historic demanding institutions that have expectations about behavior and attitudes and observance and rules are jettisoned, yet nothing really positive is put in its place. But another aspect, and this may be one that hits closest to home for us, and one of you really nailed it, is American individualist religion. American individualist religion. Michael Goheen, in his book, A Light to the Nations, which is a fantastic book, pick it up, it's not too long, it's only about 170 pages, it's called A Light to the Nations by Michael Goheen, and he highlights what he calls individualist religion. He says, individualist religion stresses the importance of a personal relationship to God at the expense of the church's communal significance. It highlights a personal relationship to God, which we believe, nothing wrong with that, need to have a personal relationship with the Lord, but it often does so at the expense of the church's communal significance. He goes on to say, quote, too often the message of the cross is simply that it removes guilt from the individual and replaces it with forgiveness and justification. If there is a social component to this, it kind of comes as an afterthought. The church is merely a collection of forgiven and justified individuals. So when we see each other, it's just like, oh, I'm forgiven, you're forgiven. Oh, glad to see you, glad you're here. And other than that, there's not much reason behind our connection together in worship and the life of the church, not just on Sunday morning, but what it means to be the church and to be connected to one another in a powerful way that transcends the simple fact that we, happen, we just happen to share a common story of forgiveness. But sadly, that's often all it measures up to. And with this in mind, ideas then of the church as a community that exists for others and provides authentic fellowship and love and justice often doesn't even register. 
You see, when, when all the church is is just a collection of forgiven individuals, um, this kind of greater purpose of what the church has been called to in the world, which is to proclaim authentic, true family and fellowship and love, seeking justice in the world, doesn't even, it's not even a part of the equation. And so what we're left with is millions of people who may believe in God but want nothing to do with the church. The church seems irrelevant. Why do I need the church? I can access on my smartphone millions and thousands of excellent sermons for free. Why do I need to come to the church to hear a sermon? I can podcast it while I'm jogging. Or, you know, if, if I want to, I've got the Bible in four different editions in, in apps on my phone. I mean, I'm not dogging um, in, um, technology. It's great. Praise the Lord for that. Um, but the idea is, why do I need the church? I'm pushing against this. And we all kind of feel that. We, we come, we press out on Sunday morning, and, and Saturday night we stay up too late, and we're like, oh, I've got to be at church tomorrow. I've got to go to bed. But, you know, we're still up at 1, 1 a.m. on Saturday night. And then, of course, on Sunday morning we're, you know, we're dozing off, and the pastor is sending you to the land of Nod like Cain. <clears throat> which, I, which I pray that I don't do that, but sometimes it happens. Um, incidentally, I don't, I, I, I have to encourage myself, you know, uh, at times, you know, someone fell out of a window when Paul was preaching and, and because they were sleeping, they fell asleep. So, um, but all of this, what we've discussed, especially Christian attitudes about church and American individualist religion, which has kind of permeated our culture at large means that we're kind of to blame for this. We are. We're kind of to blame for this attitude that I can have God, but I don't need the church because we, in some way, we kind of foster that attitude ourselves. Well, this is not the image of the church from 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's not. Paul, writing to the young pastor Timothy, uses this word, oikos, the Greek word oikos, which is translated here as household. And it describes the church as God's very own family. So the Bible, the, the, the word that scripture uses, that the Bible uses here to talk about the church, is the word for household. It describes the church as God's own family. Now the word oikos is where we also get the word economy from. And it's not speaking about money necessarily in this context, but also the relationship of things together, which brings us to our first point, which is in God's economy, the church as his household is central. In God's economy and the way God does things, the way God links people and the gospel and all this stuff together, it means that the church is central. Scripture's up there right behind us. The church is central. Why? Because it's God's home on earth. Now, we know that God is not confined to a building, and that's not what we're talking about. And we know God is omnipresent, and he's everywhere at the same time. But what we're saying is, in the same way that I'm out at work, or you're out at work, and you're running errands and doing things throughout the day, and you're all over town, when you walk through the front door of your house, you're present with your family in a special unique way. There is a specialness to your uh, abiding at home with your family that doesn't happen 
outside of the walls of your home. And that's what the church is. It is where God dwells uniquely in a special way. A special manifestation of God's presence in the world happens only in and among the church because it's his own household. It's God's household. It's God's home on earth. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to start Advent, and we'll be singing songs like, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And of course, you know, if you don't know, Emmanuel means, what does it mean? God with us. And this is one of the promises of the new covenant, that God would come to dwell on earth. Now, there will come a day when God's dwelling is universal. God dwells on earth universally, universally in the fullness of his power and presence and grace and love. But until he returns, his presence is most clearly manifested in the church. So there's reason number one why we're tied to the church, why we come to church, why we believe in the church, why we're not just spiritual but not religious, which really means I believe in some higher power, but I don't go to church. The church and God's presence in the church is kind of like finding out that some super famous celebrity that has won all types of Academy Awards and Emmys is hanging out on the corner coffee shop. You know, you find out, you know, that they're hanging out at the the corner coffee shop. The God that created, you know, the universe and the cosmos, his presence is manifest in in a really powerful way in the church. In churches, in gospel churches. God's dwelling is among his people because, well, like we said before, they're his household. And when the church gathers, God's family gathers. I'll read verses 14 and 15 again. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. I'm driving this point home. Household, household, household. It's God's home, 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 home. He's the head of the household. We're part of the family. I could say, you got it? Okay, have a good day. And we could, we could break, break from here. Um, but just to illustrate the point a little further, to help us really grasp this concept of family, of the church as God's family. You know, we just celebrated Thanksgiving And Thanksgiving is um, the most important event in America for family gatherings, even more so than Christmas. People, Americans who are all over the world will fly home, not for Christmas, but for Thanksgiving, statistically speaking. In fact, uh, tickets around the time of Thanksgiving are actually even more expensive. And so this is a time where family, at least American families, come together in a way that they don't any other time of year. Um, we had a small Thanksgiving gathering this week. It was just my wife and I and our kids and my son and his wife. And our two adult daughters aren't here with us, but it was just the seven of us around the table. And the kids started telling stories. They have these shared stories. They started telling stories about from their childhood. A funny story was my oldest daughter recounted a time when they were, the kids were little. My son was, I think, maybe six or seven. And the emergency broadcast system test blared on the television. You know, that ah, 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 ah. And my son came running out into the living room. What's going on? And my oldest daughter said, get down. 
and he dropped to the ground thinking that the world was ending. And we laughed about that. And, you know, those shared stories belonged just to them. I, I can't really share in your family story because I don't belong to it. I could have sat around your table, but, you know, I don't know those experiences. But a family knows each other's experiences because they have the same story. And the church has a story. And it's a shared history, a shared story, but not everyone is born into this church. But anyone who gets adopted into this family gets to share in the church's story. And this is the beauty of God's household. There's always room for more. Think about church and growing a church and proclaiming the gospel. Is God is always saying, uh, there's always an open chair at my table. There's room in God's family. And the stories of the church, its history, its rich heritage, the Bible is our story. It's open for those who are adopted into God's family. And this is an aspect of the Christmas season that we're about to begin that we may not think much about. And it's how God adopts people into his household. The name of our sermon this morning is God's household. Galatians 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God, God sent forth his son. You ready for it? God sent forth his son. Why? That we might receive adoption to sonship. That we might receive adoption to to sonship, which means the sons and daughters of God. Sonship is a, is a term of inheritance, so it's not excluding women. But we receive this adoption as the children of God, and he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. And so to say that we're spiritual, our person is spiritual but not religious, or or to make it sharper, the sharper distinction, I believe in God, but I don't go to church. Well, it's like saying, you know, um, I belong to a family, I don't have a father, or something like that. Because the church is God's family, and he's the father. Until you're able to call God your father, you're, well, you're really an orphan. Looking for love and acceptance and everything, or in anything, like Zen, or whatever. Fill in the blank. And there's no shortage of those things today, right? It's almost like it created a market for fulfillment. Oh, you know, Christianity is not your gig, but you want some higher power? Well, here you go. You know, and I mean, there's no shortage of those things. There's no end to it. But God calls us into his family and adopts us. To share the story of the church, the story of scripture, the redemptive story of God's plan for the ages and the good world that he created and how God's plan to redeem the earth is at work powerfully. I remember the story of a missionary who uh, adopted an orphan on the mission field. And the boy would sit at the table initially and after dinner was over, he would pile up a plate of food and take it back to the room. And it wasn't because he was hungry. It was because he wasn't certain that another meal was coming. He, he, he didn't know 
wasn't certain that he wouldn't be thrown out on the street like every other family had done that he had stayed with. He struggled to believe he was actually loved by his new adopted family and father. The church is the family of God that adopts people into real love with the Father. A real love. And it's a love we can be certain of. And one of the reasons, maybe, that we struggle the most is believing, actually, that God really loves us. Maybe that's one of the reasons why people are reluctant to come to church, is they're not really, they don't really believe that there's real love there. Maybe that's a failure on our part. Maybe we have not sufficiently demonstrated the love of God. Maybe we have, maybe we haven't. Maybe we could do a better job of it, demonstrating the love of God. But there is a love available in the church because it's God's family that is not available anywhere else. Um, in 1971, um, the novel The Exorcist by William Peter Blatty, who just died a few months ago, um, it's an amazing, amazing book. And at the very end of the book, um, the two priests, the older priest and the younger priest, Father Marin and Father Karras, are taking a break from the hard work of exorcism in the bedroom. And they're leaning up against the wall, you know, for a cigarette break before they go in one final time to do battle against the demon. And Karras, the younger priest, asks Marin, the older priest, why there's evil in the world and what the devil gets out of demonic possession. And Marin, who's the older, more experienced priest who's been around, he's seen these types of things before, he says um, that the devil's job is to get us to despair. He wants us to despair and he wants us to see ourselves ultimately as bestial and putrescent, unworthy of God's love. And he goes on and he says, I think finally... Belief in God is not a matter of reason at all. I think it's a matter of love, of accepting the possibility that God could ever love us. And in the end, the skepticism in our culture may simply be the inability to believe that God actually loves the world. I'd like to tell you that We've discovered some new and innovative way to reach unbelievers and skeptics. We've figured it out. We have found the winning formula to, to get people to give their lives to Christ. That we have this new message to get them into the church, or as they see it, organized religion. Some mind-blowing new understanding of God and the world that will really appeal to them. But we don't. All we have is the truth. The church is a pillar and buttress of this truth. And in the end, this is why the church exists. This is why we meet and plant churches and invite people to protect and demonstrate and share the power of this truth that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Let's pray.